So, hello everybody. Hello. We are back. This is episode 5 of Safe Space. As always, with me, Robert. And Davide. And what are we going to do today? So, we could uh, a little bit sum up or pick up from where we left last time and then move on. Yeah, yeah it's episode 5, so which logically follows up from episode 4. And we started something last time, which we really didn't finish at all. <clears throat> so we were talking about um, how, what we agree on that is true, how we view reality. We talked a little bit about physics and broken microphones. Yeah. <laughs> so we did repair both our microphones for this <clears throat> occasion. So, a little bit more elaborate version of what happened last time. We started out with talking about Wikipedia and what are the Wikipedia rules for establishing truth or if an event was true or not. <clears throat> and Wikipedia said it's basically, it has to be verifiable. So it has to, somebody else needs to have said it before. We looked at the legal system where truth is established basically by consensus of the church or the jurors. The jur <clears throat> and we looked at scientific, the scientific view of reality, which is also basically based on if all the scientists agree on that something happens in a certain way, then that's accepted as the current scientific thinking. So all of these things, actually, this kind of conventional way of establishing truth, it's all based on consensus, more or less. If everybody agrees on something, then we all agree on it, basically. That's true. That's true. David is trying to think of a joke. <laughs> I'm just being, <laughs> I'm per consensus, I agree. That's the truth. That's a... All right, and then we talked a little about <clears throat> a little tiny bit about Buddhist, the Buddhist approach to this problem, mm -hmm. and well, what do Buddhists do? They have well now you know this quote, Davide. You looked it up. I looked up the quote, and mm -hmm. it's um, yeah. There was one quote which I kind of mangled in the last episode and it's from Shantaraksita. He, Shantaraksita? he was uh, an important uh, Indian master, I believe in the 8th century. He was one of the main figures responsible for uh, the introduction of Buddhism in, uh, in Tibet. And he's an excellent, uh, he was an excellent uh, a scholar on, on Majamika, uh, which is this uh, very sophisticated, if you want, yet extremely simple um, uh, philosophy that is considered to be like the best or the highest in the, at least in the Tibetan, Indo-Tibetan Buddhist system. And uh, in, in this uh, book he wrote called uh, An Ornament of the Middle Way, he says, uh, talking about what we call conventional or relative truth, um, only satisfactory when left unscrutinized, 
subject both to birth and destruction, possessing causal potency. Thus, we understand that all-concealing relative, all-concealing relative is, is a name, or all-concealing is a, it's a way to translate the Tibetan word that is used for what we call relative truth. Which is what you've been talking about, like, you know. Well, that doesn't really sound like something you would say at a party conversation. No, I wouldn't. That's why I normally don't get invited to parties. <laughs> so is there any kind of weakened form of the code which still makes sense and is actually understandable? Well, the first part is, you know, as long as you don't look closely through it, to it, it's fine. Like, like we were talking about the river the other day. It's fine to say that's a river and uh, you're satisfied, satisfied by the both both the definition uh, 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 of the river as long as you don't look closely then you discover what about the riverbed what about the water but is this the water from the yesterday or is a new water is this the same river so uh, basically as long as you don't look closely you are fine by defining things by labeling things and doing stuff with that label that helps you to tell people yeah cross two rivers and they turn to the right you will be arrived at your destination uh where it won't work is when you try to have a more definitive understanding of how reality actually is in and of itself, independent of how you want to use it and and uh, label it. That's where we call it, talk about the absolute truth, where all of these labels. So Buddhism actually has two truths. It seems to have two truths, at, at least. That's pretty unconventional, isn't it's, it? Yeah, sometimes <clears throat> they even have three when they feel like. Oh, sometimes well. even four, but that's, an, that's a different thing. No, the the two truth is it's 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 a system that has been introduced exactly for that purpose because sometimes you need to just you know uh, uh, do things with reality or engage in reality in a way that is that is practical and functional, and and so you need to kind of agree on how to talk about that or how to define that, and actually within the different school because in Buddhism at least in the form of Buddhism that we are following you cannot study different Buddhist philosophies that over the centuries have been developed and each one is kind of supersided by the next one. Mm -hmm. And you study all of them in a sort of crescendo until you arrive to yeah, Majamika, which is considered to be the highest. And, um, and each one has a definition of the relative truth and a definition of the absolute truth. And uh, the one that you're talking about, like saying, yeah, the one that would be in, in accordance with what we were saying, like, uh, you know, relative truth is basically whatever people are agree on is basically the Majamika view of the, of the relative. Okay. Yeah. The other ones are more, the other ones still try to define it more. And basically Majamika say, no, well, if you, the moment you really look closely, you end up with the absolute truth. You can't find a, a relative truth that is. It really holds up. That's right. <clears throat> that, forget about it. Just don't so, even try. Yeah. So that's a short. <laughs> if we start looking at it, it falls apart. That's <clears throat> exactly that what he's saying. Yeah. And subject to both birth and destruction is obvious. Yeah. It's like it's it's just impermanent. You you know, there's a little teaching there also about you know, don't put all your eggs in the same basket because you know it's all gonna somehow uh, end. Possessing causal potency is uh, basically that uh, it can be well. It is both the cause can be the cause for other uh, phenomenon to appear and has been caused by something else to be what it is. So it's not created out of nothing, let's put it like that. It's created by something else that has the same nature, like, uh, you know, the car is made by the car manufacturer and, and you know, the sun was, you know, some somehow since the Big Bang, something happened in between yeah. and then we have a sun and planets. You know, it's very kind of, this view is very 
very scientific if you want. Uh, the view of the absolute is something quite different then. Yeah, and the relative, the relative truth is, is pretty useful. I mean, I was thinking like going much further back in our history, mm -hmm. like when we were still fighting against lions and bears. Mm -hmm. It's probably quite useful when you're attacked by a bear that you don't start thinking about if the hairs on the body of the bear are actually still part of the bear or not. That might not be the most useful thought that goes through your head when you're just about being yeah. attacked by if, an animal. If you it? still have a head by then. Yeah. Which I think is quite important because <clears throat> a lot of these things, kind of, if we label things and say, this is a river or something else, or this is a bush or this is a tree, I mean, we would never get anywhere without these labels. I mean, you could yeah. never do anything more interesting when you couldn't even read a book if you start you analyzing the whole time. You, you couldn't, couldn't function at all. Nor communicate. <clears throat> mm. But something interesting you said last time, which it is a danger with this kind of philosophical discussion that could happen even with Buddhist philosophy, which has never been thought as something theoretical, even if it looks like. So you were saying something like that, you know, uh, you know, philosophy, Western philosophy, at least, you always find so, uh, you know, dissociated from reality, so un unpractical. And you even g gave an example that you find that in modern culture, especially in, in the pop culture, in everyday language, TV, whatever, uh, philosophy doesn't show up. Doesn't really have a foothold, no, not but, at all. But psychology <clears throat> does. And physics does a little bit. Yeah. I mean, people use kind of physical terms all the time mm. and completely wrongly. I mean, every time somebody writes, there's a quantum leap. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just like... But at least they use the word. Nobody says there's a, you know, epistemological something yes. or, you know. And the danger is also with Buddhist philosophy to, 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 to... I mean, if you study it and you receive it, you know, in the more traditional way, they really help you to always put it in the context of, well, now we're going to spend, you know, possibly a few months to discuss something quite specific and detailed, and that sounds particularly, uh, could sound quite abstract. But you always help to bring it back to the reason why, like like these books from which this quote comes, which I find it's, you know, it's a tough thing, you know, it's, you got to study properly. It's not like uh, bedside reading. But it, it really starts and ends up with a clear idea of why we, we are going through all of this analysis. Because at the end of the day, it's all about our relationship to the things that surrounds us, our relationship to our own, uh, whatever we have, perception of ourselves. And especially then, as a support for a more sane way to relate to it, and especially in the sense of... Um, uh, exploring and do something about uh, the specific emotional relationship we have um, to things, people, ourselves, and so on. Because as long as our philosophical, if you are, or Weltanschauung, as they say, you know, yeah, in your nice, country. Nice German word. Yeah. And as long as this doesn't change, even on an intellectual level, it's quite difficult then to try to change our emotional relationship to something. For example, as long as I really believe 100% that I'm completely entitled by the law and whatever, you know, to kill anybody that tried to steal my horse, uh, you know, it's going to make it very difficult for me to think about whether 
morally or human on a human point of view, it's really decent to kill somebody who's trying to steal my horse. So that's an example to say, as long as we really believe the things exist in and of themselves and maybe have been created by some higher power and then they have to be like that. And then it's quite difficult then to create uh, or to change our emotional relationship to them. And why do we want to change it? Because the current way we emotionally relate to things uh, bring a lot of suffering. As if we are happy with the suffering, then we don't need to change that. But basically, but I think we're not too happy with our suffering, isn't it? Per definition, right? <laughs> yes, it's pretty <laughs> yeah, but painful. The point is that it was something I was trying to do a few, uh, a few times ago. It was like, I think that what Buddha Sakyamuni did, you know, 2,500 and more years ago, uh, was like to, to go through this thought process and come to come to a conclusion well uh as long as i see things in a certain way there's n- there's no other that i can only have either attachment or rejection towards them or be somehow oblivious about it but uh, there's no and as long as i do that suffering is just a byproduct you cannot you know get away without it and he was asking himself am i happy with that they keep saying no i want to do something want to have something more reliable and durable and definitive. So it kept going on. And so all of this philosophy, if you want, are uh, an exploration of how things are. And with the idea that if and when we completely embrace uh, a Weltanschauung, a way of seeing the world that is in coherence, in, in 100%, uh, how do you say? Mm, uh, um doesn't matter. Uh, with without the things are, uh, there's way less room for uh, disappointment at the end of the day. I mean, we say all the time, everybody knows everybody's going to die, but nobody's happy with that. Well, is there a way, is there a practice, is there a practical way in my life to come to terms with the fact that I'm going to die, my friends, my children, my wife, everybody's going to die. I mean, how stupid is to have... Uh, I mean... How stupid would be not to try to face a fact. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't found a way yet to do it. <clears throat> no, the success, the result and the success out of it is tough. It's, nobody says it's easy and I, you know, nobody says you will get it right uh, even in this life or something like that. But uh, I think that the uh, strategy in life to kind of live la- through life without even trying to face basic facts of life is childish, basically. It's like a child who covers his own eye because he doesn't want to be seen by other people. I mean, oh, yeah, totally. that's how it is. I mean, I was thinking the last week, <clears throat> having this, done this discussion, well, how are we actually going to use this mm. in our lives? And <clears throat> actually, I can start with, you can start with a few very basic things. Mm. I mean, even like we had this discussion discussion about what what is a river mm. you know is the river bad part of the river and so mm. on and so on and you also said last time that well before the kind of scientific revolution we kind of viewed nature and a lot of things kind of as they as kind of gods or yeah. whatever spirits you know we mm. had all these things so which in some way was actually i mean for a river for example to see a river as a kind of water spirit, you know, definitely elevates your view of a river rather than if you just say, now, well, a river, that's just a bit of water. Mm. 
<clears throat> and actually, I was thinking this kind of label that we put on, okay, this is a river, you know, then we don't go any further looking at it. It's just like, it's a river dealt with, don't have to think about it anymore. You know, we don't think about, are there some wetlands? Are there some kind of protected animals in there? Is mm -hmm. it polluted or not? None of these things, you know, all these kind of manifold of thoughts and, and qualities and exciting things and whatever, romantic things, you know, all these things are just shut, shut down by saying, oh, this is a river. Mm. There's nothing more to say about it. It's a river, done. Mm. While if you actually look at it and you kind of just look a little bit deeper and don't just stop at the label, you kind of, there's so much more. That's, that that's could actually be quite nice and exciting mm. and probably also much more refreshing to view it that way than just to say it's a river. It's funny. I just very recently, I, I, I was talking to my girlfriend and I was telling her that the, the, the older I get, the more I have the feeling that a little bit almost I get disconnected from reality. Uh, I, either I do remember from the past or imagine a past where I would look at the river or in that case it was just a nice mountain or something like that. And I could really kind of see it and be there with it and, you know, with little little lab labeling and really enjoying the space. And now I always feel I'm looking at a screensaver. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's so much concept in my mind, uh, you know. Yes, like the concepts, concepts have taken over. They are taking over more <clears throat> than in the past, I yeah. have to say. And that has to be too with the fact that I don't practice enough. Because actually the practice, Buddhist practice, the meditation, contemplation practice, supposedly, they do bring you closer to perception. And the interesting thing is perception is in basically in, 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 in the Buddhist fundamental, you know, epistemological system, they un are unquestionable. That's actually the one thing that is an unquestionable. Perception is a fact. Yeah, but then what you do with the perception? That's that's, that's where story. the philosophy, Rein, yeah. you know, uh, reinkommt. I wanted that's to say in German, <laughs> where your habits kick in. And I was also thinking that's one of my my things that have a, I think about a lot. We tend to put a label on an organization, you mm. know, like your mail system or the government or Google, Google or your inland revenue service or Apple or whatever, you know? And then we just blame them. It's like, oh, Apple screwed up my phone. Or Apple doesn't give you any customer service. <clears throat> but actually, if you look at it, there's no such thing as Apple. Mm. I mean, it's just a bunch of people. Mm. And if your mail comes late, there's no kind of mysterious kind of superhuman being really trying to screw you. <laughs> screw your mail. It's just a lot of small things that went wrong mm. and ended up in the mailman maybe not delivering your mail on time. Yeah. So I was also thinking this kind of labeling, while it's really useful when you're being attacked, you know, if you're in danger of being killed, it's pretty useful. Mm. But in normal circumstances, it really... It makes it very easy for you to project kind of negativity onto something, to get angry, mm -hmm. to get impatient. Mm -hmm. And even with people, you know, I mean, if you just, if you get your car repaired and you just think of the guy who repairs your car as your car mechanic, mm -hmm. 
You don't even think of him as a human person. No, you don't. It's just a car mechanic. Mm. He screwed up. You don't think of him like, oh, he might have a family. He didn't have time. Whatever, you know, he might have been sick. He might have had a bad day, whatever. You just put a label on and that label kind of justifies it for you to just blame. You're blaming the label for whatever goes wrong. The labeling or changing the label allows you to do different things. That really a strong, a strong memory of the very brief uh, visit I made to uh, when I was younger to university in Italy. I was a you know I went for a couple of years trying to get a degree which I never did, and one of the lessons was uh, moral philosophy. And the one one lesson that I remember still is the. Um, that teacher was explaining how the process of even being capable of doing horrible things to a person or a group of people always starts with a change of labeling. You know, example of racism or, you know, a horrible groups of people being killed, detained or whatever done by another group of people always starts with changing their status from human into something else. It's virtually impossible for a human being to see a group, unless you're completely sociopath. But to see a group of equal human being like him with the same feeling, needs and stuff, and then start killing them or burning. Yeah, it doesn't work. It always goes first. There's a There's differentiation. Always, it's like right. us and them, yeah. and they are different from us. And they are not subhuman. They become yeah. a thing that, especially when things get really out of hand uh, and unhorribly, you know, uh, you can really trace it, trace it in the in the cultural development of that horrible things that happen is that you know slowly slowly they morph into you know they use language that compare them to animals insects uh, i don't know if you've seen hotel rwanda you know this, this no. you know these two, two factions in you know in rwanda was you know and the one you know that took over was trying to kill everybody else i don't remember the name like something, you know. I mean, actually, Africa. interestingly, Rwanda was once known as one of the friendliest countries yeah. in the world. I yeah. talked to Globetrotters, like, in the, uh -huh. and they were like, yeah, well, that was the best place we ever visited. Wow. Those were the nicest people we have ever seen. And then you, you should watch that movie. It's really interesting because, and it's tough because uh, it's a micro his story within this bigger horrible situation where basically one of these two tribal factions takes over and then, uh, you know, kills the other ones. And But the, the interesting thing is that there the language changes and they start talking to them like cockroaches. Mm -hmm. And like they really slowly, slowly, because there's a lot of propaganda involved, slowly, slowly try to, to label them as something other than human, which opens the gate for the horrible things after that. So labeling things has a big power. Yeah, it makes it very easy for you to react in a certain way. That's right. Definitely. And if, like, what happens if uh, not only uh, you're aware of uh, your labeling process, or let's put it like that, whatever, if not only you try to keep your labeling kind of positive, you know, not to label things negative, but you become really aware of the fact that it's just the labeling on a deeper level. What kind of freedom do you get? What kind of options does it open in your life? And and that's the, I think the distinction has to be done a lot about, about 
how deep is our understanding of even simple concepts like uh, you know impermanence or labeling uh, because it is true that if they st- if they stay on a purely merely intellectual level they don't do a lot of service to us in daily life but the whole point is to find a way to get those you know things that we discover sink more yeah. deeper so that they have an influence on our reactions you know I do get very angry. You know, all of us get very angry if our, you know, least, re- most recent toy is not delivered by Amazon on time. You know, and then Amazon or the French post system is completely, you know. I didn't know that when I came up with the example of the corporation <laughs> or the post, postal system, but it's good. Uh, it's, a just ver- it's a very good one. Right. On, People on have to know that we live in this uh, rural part of France <clears throat> where for any sort of uh, kind of 21st century uh, technology or uh, exposure to gadgets we completely rely <laughs> on the post i mean you can go to the supermarket and buy some bad headphones but if you really want something decent uh, i normally order it through uh, some online service and then i live in a place that it's even more remote and even the post doesn't want to go there so recently i got something delivered and the guy called me at seven in the morning telling me hey can you meet me you know in, in the next village, like at 12 o'clock, I said, and they said, well, isn't it, isn't it your job to do a door-to-door delivery? Yeah, but you know, it's out of my way and whatever. Yeah. Uh, I got a package from UPS recently, <clears throat> which according to their tracking system, the package was on the road for delivery on the 21st of this month. And it actually arrived on the 25th. So the guy had it in his van for four days. Yeah, waiting for the right day. Waiting for the right day where I had enough time to drive up here and actually drop it off. Now he's a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a guy trying to get home earlier to his wife and spend some time with his children, you know. I don't know what kind of life these people have that work for UPS. Honestly. Because, no, anyway. I I mean, how bad would you feel if you have to dress up brown every day? (laughs) Do they do it here? Yeah, of course. They come in the full UPS. Brown van in a brown uniform. I see. Depressing. Yeah, and with the door, they didn't even have a door on that thing. No, they have a door. They have a door. They have a door. Sometimes it looks like they don't. (laughs) Yeah, and coming back to last last episode, I was also thinking about this emotional, our emotional reaction to our environment. Because we said intellectually, it's quite easy to grasp the, the concepts. But your emotional reaction doesn't change because of that. And actually, according to the to many Buddhist teachers, emotions are not like something which are just some things which are just there. Emotions are basically result of a training. Yeah. If you train yourself to react to a certain situation in a certain way, mm. and every time the situation comes up, you react in the same way, then you get better and better in that. I mean, it's basically it's like training that muscle. That's right. You're really training it. Like every time the male guy comes late, you're blaming <laughs> the postal service. Every time he's late, you blame him. So after a while, you don't even have to do it anymore. It's automatic. Yeah. And then at that point, your reaction becomes like an emotion. It's yeah. it's not the you have to think about it. It's just like instantly your emotions pop up. So... That's what we want to change, isn't it? And that's what I think what is possible to change uh, by just doing things differently for long enough 
so this uh, to create new paths. I think I, there must be a neurological background to that uh, thing. I think that if you keep repeating things, certain paths within your well, you know, there's all this research about violinists, that's and right. musicians, and we actually you can see that certain areas of the brain have been higher developed. But not <clears> only that, I think that a certain within that a certain neurological paths get like okay these guys you know the brain goes okay you're trying to do this gesture quite a lot so yeah, i'm so gonna you get like a, a neural highway yeah there. that's right then we're gonna <clears throat> hardwire that yeah. thing so that you can play that thing faster so like the brain restructure itself yeah. around it but they have to do it for ten thousand hours right to get to a decent level and uh well in the tradition we are following in the buddhist tradition we are following there are things called you know training of the mind they basically do the same thing with thoughts and yeah. emotions it's so like, emotional reactions are just highway yeah. highways in your brain the highways in your brain <laughs> i like that and uh well if you build one highway you can take it down you build can take it down one. and build another one yeah only it takes a little bit of effort because the one we have now, okay, we started when we were very young. And actually, you know, the point is that it took a lot of time and we've been very thoroughly trained by our parents and by circumstances. And yeah, let's blame our parents, but actually probably <laughs> circumstances have done a lot to it. <laughs> yeah, that's, but you know, you know, some of the things that in this training of the mind are suggested where you kind of reverse your whole kind of, you know, view of the world, like, from an egocentric to a other centric, it's it's. If you really try to do it, it's like wow! It's like one of those mind games that really make you dizzy. Like what is what is kind of proposed as a possibility in those kind of mind training? Yeah, it's totally to amazing. I was listening to these teachings that so Rinpoche gave mm. a week ago, something like that. Yeah, <clears throat> and the key phrase for me was like. Whenever something good happens to us, we think it's because we have done something which resulted in something good happening to us. Mm. Whenever something bad happens to us, we think somebody else has done something <laughs> so that we have, and then because of that, we have a bad experience. Mm. And of course, that's completely nuts, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's completely true. Mm. That's totally how we operate. Mm. But it's so nuts. I mean, there's nothing kind of. My everything that I do results in only good things for me, and everything that's bad for me must come from somebody else. Mm. That makes no sense at all, no? There's no logic there. There's no logic. Yeah. I mean, it's a very convenient way to live yeah. or to look at your life, but mm. it's really, if you hear it, it's like so put in such a clear point. I was mm. like, wow. Yeah, and trying to change that. That's that's what the training comes in. Yeah, and then the training is to just, yeah. Or like, okay, somebody kind of says something untrue about you, quite offensive and everything. Well, we get uh, outraged, angry. And we try to find ways. Once we calm down, we try to find ways to fix it, change. And uh, then all of this teaching, you know, tell you to do the other things. You know, say like, fine, you know, um, and, you know, look it differently. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe in that case, they actually suggest, well, there must be a reason why they say that mm. about you. Maybe you have done or said no, something. No, it's, it's pretty confronting. These it teachings. is confronting. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we are talking about these teachings are called 
Teachings on Mind Training, Lojong. Yeah, Lojong is the Tibetan word for the overarching kind of groups yeah. of category of teachings. And it's really that it's retraining your mind. Oh, yeah. It's changing your reaction. It's a complete training uh, of the mind, which uh, uh, it's one whole level of stuff that Buddhists are supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not only that the I think it's always important also to remind us that there's a whole other more contemplative less less emotionally and and thoughts based training which has a lot to do with um, first of all calming the mind a little bit focusing the mind a little bit and then getting to know what is the actual nature of the mind yeah and for this training actually you actually don't even have to do my formal practice helps but this is something you can do all the time It's really contemplations and different way of thinking yeah. of things. It, it, it uses the mind. It's not like transcendent in no, any no. way. It's very down to earth and just like in an ordinary situation, just check how we react and then like, oh, maybe I should react. Yeah, try to see differently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And it's of course at the beginning, it's, it, it feels... Uh, contrived. Because it is maybe. <laughs> it's very different, definitely. <laughs> It's very contrived because it's mm. not what we have been doing for uh, the, you know, since who knows how long. And uh, I find it very, very tough uh, and very difficult to make it happen uh, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always a reason why, yeah, yeah, sure, these teachings are great, but, you know... Not I, for me, not, not today. Not today, I need to get this one straight. Otherwise, you know, the other person is going to develop a wrong view and it's bad for them. So, <laughs> you know, I have to straight this one. This has nothing to do with the teachings. Yeah, we are really good at getting finding all kinds of excuses. Yes, yeah. Procrastinating. <clears throat> Actually, there was a really good article of Tsokni Rinpoche in the Huffington Post, mm. Ooh, which, I I've, that, yeah. which I've put up on our website, which is safespace2012.tumblr.com. Tumblr is without an E for those people who don't know Tumblr. Tumblr is this kind of mini blog platform hmm. and it's very easy to put up a website and publish things. So and also put the all, quote up there, all the stuff that we talk about, the quote, the links, it's all there. Safe space, 2012.tumblr.com. And according to our tracking, we have now reached 25 listeners. Wow. It's not bad. Consistently. Maybe we should get them all in the room here and do it like that. Do it live. <laughs> But maybe more people want to listen. So um, it it is always helpful for us when you leave us feedback. So you can tweet us, Safe Space 2012. Or Robert Wickbert, that's my Twitter account. And if you want to go wild, you can go to iTunes to the podcast section, search for Safe Space. And leave a comment there and tell us what you think of our podcast. That would help, you know, because it's, it is getting like quite, uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but uh, uh, kind of strange to talk in a vacuum. It's always good, you know, to have feedbacks, to like get things to clarify, interact with some, uh, some other sentient beings. Uh, it, it would help us a lot, uh, you know, to also for the content of this, of this kind of discussions we're having. And we are trying to keep them shorter, so we're going to stop now. Oh, we're getting sh even shorter than before. No, it's already 35 minutes. Didn't we say 40? 
Oh, 35. Yeah, but then <clears> wait until I edit all the bad jokes out. There are no bad jokes. There are no jokes at all. That's why there are no jokes, because you edit them all out. Ah. I see. So the only feedback we heard so far, no, it's not the only one, but one of the latest was... Not be, enough jokes. Be funny. Be more funny. I said, yeah. yeah, we're not comedians. We have a, I have a very a huge respect for comedians. I would never try to steal their job. Um, but I'll try to be funny. Yeah. And we can come up with one joke per episode. Right. Okay, folks. All right. So thanks very much. And yeah, next episode is going to be out in two weeks. So stay tuned. And talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.